0: All right. Good morning, Mercy family. Good morning. Good morning. morning. We got a lot of work to do today. I'm so excited. Um, We are pressing pause on our first Samuel series just for today. Got a big day in the life of our church, but... I want to make sure to say thank you, everybody at Mercy, Um, over the past couple of weeks since we kicked off this prayer um, from 1 Samuel 3.10, speak, Lord, your servants are listening. And we began praying that as a church. I've been so encouraged by how many of you have taken that up. You know, we all put that in on our phones. It's hilarious when I'm with some of y'all at 3.10. Phones are going off all over the place. It's awesome. And I've also been encouraged by the stories that you've been sharing uh, with me and with others Uh, You've had a lot of stuff happen. I've had some things happen, and it's amazing to me the number of things I've seen happen at like 3.15, 3.30 in the afternoon. Um, Big news, good and bad, that uh, has come across, and it's like, man, the Lord is preparing our hearts uh, to hear him speak through his providence and through other things. So it's been awesome. I also want to say welcome back to our um, college students. We had many of them go away to Winter Conference last weekend. We saw a couple of students give their lives to Christ last weekend at Winter Conference. (laughs) Praise the Lord. And uh, we're glad to have you guys back. What we're going to do today, um, I'll kind of walk you through it. You guys know the old adage, it is more blessed to give than to receive, right? It's not just an adage, of course. It is Jesus' very words himself recorded in Acts chapter 20. It was the posture of Jesus during his ministry, the one who, according to the Bible, he created the universe, he reigns as king over it. But how did he come? Well, he says, the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. That's going to be our take-home verse for today. Jesus came to earth not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The gospel announcement, the very core of our faith, the gospel announcement is it's crazy to me. It's that God came to serve us. So it should not surprise us that we are better, our lives are better, our relationships are better, our sense of fulfillment is better when we follow Jesus in serving others. After all, in its simplest form, this whole religion is just following Jesus. It shouldn't surprise us that God created us to experience the peak of human flourishing in this world when, like Jesus, we seek to leverage our lives to serve others instead of using others To serve ourselves. I know this has blessed my life. I'm sure it has for you as well. I mean, sometimes my biggest blind spot is just my selfish outlook on my life. The more I focus, tell me if this rings true to you, the more I focus on my life, my wants and needs, actually the less satisfied I am, right? You ever notice that in your life? When I stop focusing on me, I spend my energy on serving others, my life gets better. It might be harder. I might sweat a little more, but is for sure more blessed to give than to receive. This might be the very teaching of Jesus that is proven out to be true by human experience more than any of the others. Because all of us, regardless of whether you call yourself a Christian or not here today, have experienced joy when out of our own free will, expecting nothing in return, we give away some of our life to be a blessing to serve others. That's my application point right out front today. And I'm going to explain why in a minute, but I'm going to give it to you right here. It's a simple question that I want you to be thinking about, and we'll fill this in as to why throughout the sermon. But your soul work for the week, we often talk about this. We don't give you homework because of how much we all had to work from home for a couple of years. So instead, we do soul work. And your soul work is a simple thing of asking somebody else, what can I do to serve you? Ask your spouse, ask your boss, ask your employee, ask your friend, middle and high school students. Y'all get a bad rap for being selfish. I know it's not a super fair reputation, but how about you use this week to change it? Because I know the future of the mission of God is actually in your hands. What the world thinks about Jesus will be shaped by how you represent him. So start now building this simple Jesus habit of serving others. Ask your parents this question. Ask your friends, your teachers, your coaches. Now, I told you, today's an important Sunday in the life of our church. Let me explain. Today, we're talking about one of two official roles that the Bible prescribes for a local church, and that's a big deal. Uh, If you were here last June, I preached on the role of elder, the shepherd leaders of the church. That's one role. Today, we're gonna talk about the other role, and that's the role of the deacon, which is, I get it, a weird word, all right, that you don't use in everyday life, unless your na- name is like deacon, because your parents were like, this will be original, all right? Or you're a Wake Forest fan, which is weird. Um, a Baptist school, that just decided to build in a little schizophrenia into their name, but, oh, well, we're going to be demon deacons. It's, it's strange. I'm sorry to both of you Wake Forest fans. Um <laughs> Listen, Carolina had a rough night last night. That's I, I, just, that's all it that is. That's just pain talking. Oh, man. Well, if you do, if you cheer for the devil, it's between you and the Lord. We'll get to that <laughs> later in the service. Um, but here's the deal while the elders are the ones that lead by shepherding, the deacons lead by serving. And up to this point in the life of Mercy Church, we've had a small handful of deacons faithfully serving this growing body. And we're actually going to introduce them to you a little bit later in the service. Today, we are inviting you, the Mercy family, to take the next step in building Mercy Church. Today, I'm going to explain who deacons are. Here's our outline. Who deacons are, according to the Bible. Why they matter to your walk with God. and Then I'm going to give you the action step to help us build the deacon team. One's going to be to recommend someone you know to the official role of mercy deacon. The other is going to be to identify your own next step in serving others. After all, not all of us are going to be called to the role of deacon, but we are all called to serve one another, just as Christ came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Now, a word quickly to those of you who are not a part of Mercy Church yet. You might think you've kind of wandered into a weird week. Here's why I actually think this is a great sermon for you. Look, you can't preach about deacons without talking about Jesus. I mean, I guess you I guess you could, but it'd be like going very much against the nature of preaching and the nature of the Bible. Like you just can't go against your nature. It'd be like telling people in Gastonia to not shoot at a Chinese spy satellite as it drifts over. Right? You can't it'd be going against their nature to do something like that, right? So look, the passage that I mentioned today, that was crazy. Anyways, we're going (laughs) to, the passage that I mentioned up front, I'm coming back to. Jesus, Jesus is our hero today, not the deacons. And I believe anytime you get to hear about Jesus and his love for you and calling on your life, that's worth your time. All right. So if nothing else, that's what you're going to get today. But look, also when you're new to a church, you got questions about how it runs. Well, good news. Good news. Today, you're going to see us kind of lift up the hood of the car just a little bit, show you the engine. Not only that, after our service, we have something called Starting Point. Once a month, we host this little brief informational session. It's about 15 minutes or so. We share our mission, vision, and values, and how we work as a church gives you a chance to ask questions. So listen, if you're new to Mercy, by the end of today, you could get a really full picture of who we are. So to those of you who love efficiency, you're welcome. Knock it all out today. But lastly, I think even if you feel a little like an outsider as I talk about the church, listen to me, it's actually a good feeling to experience because it tells you that there is a bond that ties the members of a local church together. That bond is Jesus. And in his kindness, he says that through him all may enter, no matter your past. In fact, when you receive salvation, you are saved from your sin and saved into the church. So if you don't belong to a local church, you should feel like something's missing a little bit. So the feeling is good for now to show you where you are. It's just not a good feeling to get used to. It's not where we want you to stay. Like the check engine light on the dashboard, right? If it goes on, you don't go, ah. okay, maybe some of you do, but you shouldn't. Okay. He said, no, no, it's telling you something's up. You Need to do something. So if you feel that, I feel like a little bit of an outsider, let that motivate you to take a next step. To belong to the church body. All right, with all that said, we're going to get into the scripture. I'm going to show you the two passages that speak specifically to deacons. Again, our outline, who they are, why they matter to your walk with God, and what we need to do about it. We're going to start, our first one is Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. So if you got your Bible, make your way over there. The book of Acts tells the history of the first church. The church is just getting started And there are a bunch of people from a bunch of different backgrounds, and they're all trying to figure out, how do we follow Jesus together? And not surprisingly, a little conflict arises. And that's where we pick up in Acts chapter 6, verse 1. You guys ready? Let's go. In those days, as the disciples were increasing in number, there arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. So here's what's going on. At the start of the church, everybody is ethnically Jewish. That's going to be true for a couple more chapters in Acts. Everybody's ethnically Jewish, but culturally, they come from all different areas. And in particular, what we have right here is Greek Jews. That's what Hellenistic is, Greek Jews. And then Hebrew Jews, Hebraic Jews. And there were fewer Greek Jews. Jews. There was this distribution set up. It was a good thing. It was trying to serve widows in the church. It was good, but there was a problem that arose when the Hebrews, there was a lot more of them, they were overlooking their Greek sisters. We don't really know much more than that. But what was great is that when the complaint arose, nobody got real defensive, which is actually a great word to us in the 21st century. The church ...should be a people, a family, where we can go to one another and say, hey, brothers, in Christ, we are all, after all, brothers and sisters in Christ. And as a brother, I'm telling you, it seems like my culture and these women in my culture that come from my background are being overlooked here. I bet that was uncomfortable to say. And I bet it was really uncomfortable to hear. But instead of sticking their fingers in their ears and accusing their Greek brothers in Christ of propagating a secular woke agenda. Instead, what they did is, you know, they listened to one another. And they gave one another in Christ the benefit of the doubt. And there's a word to us, church, in that, in our day. But it's a different sermon. Now, how they resolve the dispute is the important part of our discussion. Verse 2. The twelve summoned the whole company of the disciples and said, It would not be right for us, the twelve or the twelve apostles, it would not be right for us to give up preaching the word of God to wait on tables. So brothers and sisters, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom, who can appoint, who we, whom we can appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. Again, the twelve apostles recognize the church needs to prioritize the to prayer and the preaching of the word of God. And it wouldn't be right to stop preaching to wait on tables, but it would also not be right to ignore these widows at the table. Gospel ministry is incomplete when word is not preached, and it is incomplete when physical needs are not met. The love of Christ is to be proclaimed, and it is to be demonstrated from the body of Christ. So they appointed seven men of good reputation, who people knew to be full of the spirit and of wisdom. Why? Why? Because of how important serving others is, the character of the people appointed to the church to serve tables matters greatly. Why? Because in an official capacity, they were the ones who were to model Christ. Who? Did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. They're not the only ones who should serve. Every believer should, but they wanted someone who looked like Jesus to represent Jesus because serving those in need is a demonstration of the gospel. Well, verse five, this proposal pleased the whole company. So they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Niconor, Timon, Timon, I always go Timon, and you know exactly where I go with that, and I'm trying my best. Um, Parmenas and Nicholas, a convert from Antioch, They had them stand before the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. So the word of God spread. The disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly in number. A large group of priests became obedient to the faith. Because they appointed these men and the apostles returned to the work. Verse 7 says, the word of God spread. I want you to see these servants... These servants were mission critical. The apostles were able to return to their work. No one person tried to do everything. There's no superheroes in the first church. The apostles did their thing. These table servants did their thing. And God blessed the division of labor. Even a little revival breaks out among the Jewish priests. Why does this all matter? Because the relationship between these apostles and these servants is the prototype For the relationship that exists between the two offices in the church, if they get established a little later. Just like the apostles preached and these guys served, the elders are assigned to preach and the deacons will be assigned to serve. In fact, the Greek word that is used through here is diakonoi, where we get our word deacon. The deacons are gifted and commissioned by the church body to serve the physical needs of the church. And the elders are gifted and commissioned by the church to pray, shepherd the church, and preach God's word. So our first point today, I'm going to give you two in terms of who are deacons. Who are the deacons? The deacons are the lead servants of the church. That's who they are. Remember, Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. And the deacons are the one who are commissioned in an official capacity to represent Jesus like this. So the Bible spends a lot more time talking about their character than their skill set or, qualific- or responsibilities. In fact, it's great that it doesn't spend time talking about their responsibilities. It makes sense because the physical needs of the local church is going to vary across time and culture. Surely our 21st century needs are different from 1st century needs. Surely our needs in a local church in Charlotte are different than the needs of the local church we just planted in Nairobi, Kenya. And so in God's wisdom, he made the qualifications all about character. Now, who are the deacons? Now we're going to move over to 1 Timothy. This showed you in Acts How they got started, how the office gets going, what's the prototype? Well, then Paul's talking to young Timothy, who is trying to figure out how to get a church started, and he talks to him about elders and then about deacons. Here's what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Timothy 3, verses 8 through 13. I'll read you the whole thing, and then we'll walk through it. Deacons, likewise, should be worthy of respect, not hypocritical, not drinking a lot of wine, not greedy for money. "...holding the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, they must also be tested first. If they prove blameless, then they can serve as deacons. Wives, likewise, should be worthy of respect, not slanderers, self-controlled, faithful in everything. Deacons are to be husbands of one wife, managing their children and their own households competently. For those who have served well as deacons acquire a good standing for themselves and great boldness in the faith that is in Christ Jesus." The whole job description is character, specifically Christ-like character, and then there's a reward at the end. Looking back through this, we're going we're to go through this, and as we do, what you're going to see is that none of the qualifications are any different than the kind of character that every Christian is called to, right? They're just exemplary in that regard. So who are the deacons? Here's the other point to this. They're followers of Jesus whose faith and character has been tested, that's who they are. They're followers of Jesus whose faith and character has been tested. So I want to briefly walk back through those character traits. And as I do, I want you to start thinking about some people in your life, maybe in our church, who kind of fit this bill. Now look, only Jesus fits it perfectly, okay? We are, the rest of us are works in progress, but I hope some people start to pop into your head and your heart. He says they are to be worthy of respect. In one sense, this is kind of a summary Right, People around them respect the way that these folks live their lives. Maybe that's been through a trial. Maybe through just faithful service over a long period of time. But their Christ-likeness is respectable. It's worthy of respect. Second, he says not hypocritical. They are the same person in private as they are in public. They don't call anyone else to something they're not first willing to do themselves. And that's huge. Remember, Jesus got onto the Pharisees for exactly that thing. Especially y'all in the South, where you could play the church game to network or to find a spouse or to look respectable, but then live your rest of your life totally different. We got to, the Bible warns against that. Y'all, hypocrisy, plain and simple, is where your words and actions contradict each other. And deacons, because they are such important representatives of Jesus to others, they can't be hypocrites. Next, not drinking a lot of wine. Their escape can't be to a vice, particularly alcohol, but true of anything. The fruit of the spirit is self-control. Is that what you see in this person? Someone who has their urges and fleshly desires submitted to the Lord. And you guys know this for what it's worth. Alcohol has a way of alluring you in and making you addicted to it. After all, you've had a hard day, just a glass or three. And hey, every day is a hard day. And hey, it's five o'clock somewhere and so on. If you don't realize it, you could wake up one day and realize that you spend more time with a drink in your hand than you do a Bible in your hand. And maybe today's a wake-up call that your vice, alcohol or something else, might be controlling you more than you think. And right after this, not surprisingly, it says, not greedy for money. Jesus himself said, you can't serve both God and money. They'll compete for the throne of your heart. They will. And the one who's greedy for money is revealing money. Not the Lord is on the throne. They'll be hungry for money and what it can buy them. And also on a practical level at this time, deacons need to be able to be trusted, and they still need to be trusted with all things of the church. They'd be able to be trusted to take up the financial offering of the church. How can they be trusted with God's money if they're greedy for it themselves? This next one's great. Holding the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. It's pretty simple. Someone should not be an official representative of the church if you're not sure what you believe about the gospel. You can be a learner, hear me, no doubt. We are all learners. But a deacon is one who needs to be settled when it comes to whether or not Jesus Christ was indeed born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died on the cross as a ransom payment for my sins, and then rose again from the grave, offering me victory over sin and death. He ascended to heaven, and one day he'll bring me with him to share in his victory forever. You gotta be settled on that you got to be because, why? Because you're representing the one who did all of it. You're representing him. And if you're struggling with something like, man, I don't know if Jesus really is the only way. All right, first, let me say something to you, legitimately. Good for you for leaning into that question. And this is a church we try to be where you can ask that question. Instead of running away from your faith and everything else, let's keep working that out. But you shouldn't hold a church office while you do. Which leads to the comment about testing in verse 10. They must be tested first. And if they prove blameless, then they can serve as deacons. Now, what is testing? This isn't like a feats of strength. Can you pull a bulldozer by a rope? Then yes, you can be a deacon. No. It's testing how settled they are in their faith. And testing how bound to the world they are with things like alcohol and money. To use the examples here. This is why, by the way, we have a whole process for identifying and commissioning deacons here at Mercy a testing, and assessment process. I'll explain what it is at the end. We, just, we don't call people lightly and commission them to this role. In fact, you get to know the five that we currently have. You would agree they are of extremely high character. Verse 11, wives, likewise, should be worthy of respect, not slanderers, self-controlled, faithful in everything. All right, I want to take four minutes and I want to talk about this verse. Because you probably noticed I placed an asterisk next to that word wives. The reason I did that is because if you have your Bible with you and you look down, you probably have something like that that corresponds. Maybe it's a a superscript letter or number, and it goes down to a note on the bottom of your page, then it says at that note, or women. There's no possessive pronoun there, so if you come across that in your translation, that was added by English translators to try and smooth out the reading based on a decision they made. We, what we have here is a translation decision. Now, for those of you new to the Bible and new to church, you're like, I didn't come to Greek class today. I hear you, all right? The only reason I'm doing this is because I want you to know you can trust the Bible and that it's okay when a translation decision comes up. And when they do, they're never, listen to me, translation decisions in scripture are never about primary issues like who Jesus is and whether or not he died and rose from the grave. There's never a translation decision about the reason he died and rose again. He died for your sins and mine, and he rose again to give us victory over sin and death. And he extends that offer of forgiveness and salvation to you today. There's no doubt about the gospel. Now this verse is important, and I spend time here because Jesus' church is important, and the translation decision is whether this says wives, indicating the wives of deacons, or does it say women, indicating female deacons. We here at Mercy take the latter view, that the proper translation is women, and that's because this passage mirrors the passage above it on elders, and there are no instructions about elder wives, and we would expect Paul to talk about both or neither, this also matches with Titus 2, three that talks about the character of the older women in the church that should be training younger women. It also matches Romans 16.1 where Paul commends Phoebe, a woman, as an official deacon of the church in Rome. So we hold that women can and should serve in the role of deacon here at Mercy Church. Now listen, this same translation work, rigorous translation work, has led us to the position that only men can serve in the role of elder. Now, it's not our opinions or the pressures of culture, but our commitment to stay faithful to God's word that has led us here. We hold our position humbly, recognizing that throughout church history, scripture-loving, Christ-exalting churches have held different understandings of these passages and still brought glory to God in their churches. Some of my favorite one-on-ones with you guys has been sitting with our Bibles open and even our Greek text open and working through this very passage. We have to hold our positions humbly. All right, four minutes are up on that. Very important, though, the character of these women that these women are to have worthy of respect, not slanderers, self controlled, faithful in everything. Why? Because they're supposed to look like Jesus, because they're in a very important position that represents Jesus. Verse 12 deacons are to be husbands of one wife, managing their children and their own households competently. When a deacon's a married man, he is literally to be a, the literal translation is a, a one-woman man. An adulterer disqualifies himself from the office of deacon because Jesus has one wife, the church, and is always faithful to her. Now, deacons are not required to be married, but men and women who are married must be faithful to their spouses. must be competent in managing their household. Again, all of this because they're modeling Christ. It's a big role. And then it finishes with a promise to them. For those who have served well as deacons acquire a good standing for themselves. It's both here and it's both in the day to come. And great boldness in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Because as you serve, it really is more blessed to give than to receive. And the Lord blesses you with boldness as you walk humbly with Him. That's who deacons are they're the lead servants of the church, and they're followers of Jesus whose faith and character has been tested why do they matter? Who they are, why do they matter to your walk with God? Well, the obvious answer is they matter so much to God that he made them one of two official roles in the church. And since they matter to God, they should matter to you. (laughs) That's the obvious one. But listen, at some point, you are going to be in need. A crisis is going to overwhelm you. And one of the reasons God calls you to belong to a local church is that when life overwhelms you, when life falls apart, when crisis hits, you are cared for. You experience the love of God. And what we have experienced as a church is that life falls apart. That's why you got to belong to a local church. Because the deacons are responsible to the members, to those who have publicly said, I am a part. I identify with this body of believers. I belong. That's who the deacons are responsible to. Now I'll go ahead and tell you, our deacons here are really strong at caring for people in times of crisis. Because what's going to happen is you're in that. It's, it's kind of human nature to go, man, does God care? Does he even care still? Does he see what's going on? And it's appropriate to let grief overwhelm you. God gives us the emotion of grief. But what's going to happen is God's appointed caregivers are going to come around you and hold your faith up for you as life overwhelms you. It's what keeps your faith afloat. Deacons are modeling for us what we should all be doing for one another. Their selflessness is a visible correction to our selfishness. If you guys knew the amount of things our deacons do for our church, your jaw would be on the floor. It's not just physical needs. These people pray for you constantly. I love, man, I love knowing our deacons because they push me out of my selfish zone all the time. Like I want to be like Craig and like Tim and like Margaret. I want to be like these people. They point me back to Jesus. Of course they do. Their whole ministry is to bring the love of Jesus into 3D right here. The son of man did not come to be served, but to serve And give his life as a ransom for many. More than a deacon. Let me say this, y'all. Why do deacons matter? It's because of who they represent. Deacons matter because Jesus matters. And what you need more than a deacon is you need Jesus. You need the hope of heaven. Some of y'all came in here and you're hearing a sermon about some people who are going to be commissioned in an official capacity to serve the needs of the church. What you need is the Son of Man. What you need is to respond to the great gift of salvation that he has offered you today. He is offering you today. He has won for you on the cross and in the empty tomb. Your sins can be forgiven and you can have new life in him. That's what you need. So let me give you our application steps. Who are they? Why do they matter? What are we going to do about it? Well, each of us need to take a step in serving one another as Christ served us. If this is the only day you ever step foot in Mercy Church, you're here visiting from Minnesota because you thought it would be warmer and better here, I don't know. You're going to go back, whatever. You're going to take this with you. What can I do to serve you? That question that's going to humble yourself, put yourself in the position of Christ, and experience that blessing as you empty out your life to serve someone else. What can I do to serve you? Listen, Many of you need to step onto a serving team here at Mercy Church. Both of our campuses, we are in need of people to step up and serve at Providence Road. We want and need to expand our kids' classrooms, but the holdup is actually not space. It's ministry team members. It's people willing to serve and raising up the next generation. The beautiful reality of a growing church is there are plenty of places to step in and serve, but are you going to be willing? Are you going to be willing to give your time and energy away to others? And then lastly... We as a church need to identify people to serve as deacons, and we're going to do that all together. This is how we operate and function as a church. Today is the official opening of our deacon recommendation season, starting today. So let me give a quick word to our members on how you can recommend someone to serve in the role of deacon. First, you need to pray. All right? You need to pray. You need to ask the Lord. You need to go back through these scriptures and pray. With this in mind, and use 1 Samuel 3.10, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. You need to pray. Secondly, the Lord puts someone on your heart and mind, you need to go talk to that person. Don't be sending me 30 names of people. You know who be good? You go talk to them, all right? Let's talk to one another, because they might be good. It might have a whole lot of stuff going on, all right? Now might not just be the time. It might be the right people, wrong time, okay? You go and you talk to them in third I want you to take the step to recommend someone to serve in this role. You can do that at mercycharlotte.com deacons. Also on that page is going to be the whole process that we use to vet someone and what's going to take place over the next several months as we work our way towards commissioning. Pray, talk with somebody that you feel the Lord has laid on your heart, and then recommend them, all right? All right, here's how we're going to close. Um, I've loved the past... couple weeks, two, three weeks at our church as we started the First Samuel series. One of the things that we've brought into it that I've loved is um, just a time of corporate prayer together. And we're going to continue that today because, man, do we need the Lord when it comes to who's going to serve our church, all right? So what I want you to do, um, we're going to issue the same instructions, but if you've missed a week or two, something like that, let me give you the instructions. This is going to happen. We're going to pray in small groups together for about three to five minutes to close our sermon time. Okay. And we're actually going to finish by praying over our current deacons and thanking the Lord for them. So really cool. So here's the deal in a couple of seconds. I've said this again, a few times, if you've been here, I'm going to release you to pray. Now, when I do that, and before I do that, we got to identify who you're going to pray with. This is Spence being a little bit of a just classroom instructor in the moment. Okay. What I want you to do is in a second, I'm going to tell you to identify who you're praying with by just making eye contact or saying, hey, me, you, me, you, that kind of thing. And if you're not ready to pray with somebody yet, you weren't expecting that, and that's overwhelming to you, when I say, hey, figure out who your prayer buddy is, you just kind of bow your head, okay, and look at your feet, and that'll be everybody's notice that you're praying alone. What's funny, I had somebody tell me last week is, hey, when you, when you gave that license the first week, me and somebody else that were both new, both looked at each other and said, we're not doing this, and did their head down, okay? And then they sat in the same place the next week, because we're all creatures of habit, and prayed together, all right? So we take our next step, all right? So wherever you are, that, you take your next step, all right? So here's what I want you to do. Um, take seven seconds and identify who your prayer buddy is, split up uh, both of our campuses, and get into your prayer groups. Ready, set, Go. Okay, good job, everybody. All right, I'm going to walk you through four prayer points. We'll take just about a minute with each, maybe a little bit less. The first one, actually, first one, we'll do the first two together. I want you to take a moment, and let's just be honest before the Lord and say, Lord, I just want to confess where I've been focused on myself instead of on others. Let's confess to the Lord, I just, Lord, where I've been selfish and focused on myself instead of on others. I have not been like Christ in that way. I confess that to you. I turn from that. And then pray the prayer, Lord, who can I serve this week? Let's just see who the Lord brings to mind. So you take a moment, respond to the Lord in confession, and then just open your heart and mind, Lord, who can I serve? Lead me, Father, to who you would have me serve this week. You pray. As you continue to pray, I want you to ask the Lord, Lord, where should I serve? Where should I serve here in the local church? Where are you calling me to serve? Lord, speak. Your servants are listening. You ask the Lord for guidance, maybe courage to take a step and serve in the local body of Christ. You continue praying. Would you pray now for the Lord to identify and show us who should serve in the role of deacon here for Mercy Church? Pray for our church, that the Lord would give us unity, give our elders unity, give our church unity, in commissioning out the next men and women that should serve as deacons of our church. Continue to pray. I want a voice of prayer closing this time, and then at Northeast, Um, our team will lead us there, and we'll continue to lead us here. Just in praying over our current deacons, let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for you tell us that you love your bride, the church. You call us your bride. Thank you for providing for your bride as you have. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for the hope of glory one day. Thank you for forgiveness. Father, where we have focused on ourselves, turn our hearts back to you. Would that be the fruit of this morning? That we turn our hearts back to you and we find the joy in serving others as you have served us. God, we pray for unity and blessing and clarity and identifying who's next to serve in this role of deacon at Mercy Church. We pray that you would give us courage, conviction and courage for all of us to take a step to serve others. And Who knows? Might be the first time someone experiences the tangible love of Christ and what a witness and opportunity for the gospel that will be. We pray that our community would know Christ through the way we love one another and love others. We know the gospel has to go forth in word and deed. Help us, Father. We need you. Pray it all in Christ's holy name. Amen.